It's going to be in Matthew 6, uh, starting from verse 1. I will ask you kindly to rise and to read the word together. We're going to be reading Matthew 6, verse 1, and then uh, I'm going to skip to verse 19 all the way to 21. Matthew 6, verse 1. It says this. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy. And where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Let us sit down and pray. Our Father in heaven, we are before you today to hear from you. We are before you today to hear from the Son of God who preached this sermon on a mountain as you revealed yourself to the people of Israel, to the church. You have given your Son not only to preach to us, to elaborate the law to us, to show himself to us, for us to see the Father as we see the Son, to declare to us the truth of heaven. We have a more sure word, a more completed prophecy than the people of Israel. We have received and seen the glory and the truth that came through Christ and the grace that came through Christ, the love of Christ, the passion of Christ, the sufferings of Christ for His church. We show us the heart of God for His people, for sinners like us. So we are before you today to hear from your Son, to hear from the living God, to hear from the Word of God, we, to hear from God with us. Lord, open our hearts that you may enable me to preach your words faithfully and that you may open all of our hearts to hear from your words as your Spirit speaks to us out of the Word. Lord, help us focus, help us submit ourselves to what you preach to us. We thank you for everything you have done for us up to this point and the entire service we had up to this point. And we are grateful to be before you in your majesty and in your holiness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, so today... We're going to be going through all of Matthew 6. And if you see Matthew 6, your, your Bibles have sections. It talks about fasting. It talks about prayer. It's, it talks about giving. I'm not going to be going into those ideas. I'm not going to be dealing with those ideas as deeply as I would if I took them one at a time. But I want, I want to give all of us a larger picture, a, the bigger picture of what Matthew 6 is trying to teach us. Not, more, not only that, I want us to follow through, to continue on with the preaching that Jesus gave. I just want to remind the church at this point, this sermon is a sermon. 
it all happened all at once, no matter how long it took, right? So I want us to look at the sermon like that, even though we're taking it one week at a time, one chapter at a time, one section, one idea at a time. So I want to kind of try to summarize the whole picture in Matthew 6, by God's grace. Last time, in our last consideration, we saw Jesus teach us about the law of God. Teach us about the Old Testament, the law and the prophets, right? And he says, it's still important. It will be important until heaven and earth pass away. Not only is it going to be important, Jesus says, not a marking out of the law of God, not a marking out of the Old Testament will change. It's easier for heaven and earth to actually be gone versus for anything from the Old Testament to go. He says that an iota or a dot is not going to be from the, changed from the law. An iota is an Aramaic, the smallest letter in the Aramaic language. And if you look at it, it looks like an apostrophe. It's just a comma. It's just like a vertical kind of wiggly dash. And then the dot that is translated into the English Bible is like a horizontal dash. It's, um, it's the difference between, let's say, a capital letter L and small letter L. Right? The difference is just that horizontal dash. So Jesus is saying the details of the Old Testament scriptures are more important than all of creation. They shouldn't be changed. They're that critical. And if you actually heard that word, then the first thing we are going to conclude is all of these things that the Old Testament requires, like whoever does not honor their mother and father should be killed. We can't do. Right? We will all be dead. So somebody needs to do it for us. We desperately need a Savior who is perfect, who is obedient to the Word of God, even to the dashes that I just described. That's why Jesus says, I didn't come to abolish the Old Testament. I didn't come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill it. Hallelujah. That's the gospel. He did it on our behalf, and his righteousness is counted to us. But then Jesus immediately doesn't just mention the law for the sake of us recognizing the holiness of God and our incapability to accomplish God's will. As the New Testament teaches us, the law came and it taught us about our sin. When the law came and it said to me, you shall not covet, all of a sudden I struggled with covetousness, Paul says. The law reminded me or taught me that I cannot do God's requirements on my own. But that's not the only reason the law came to the earth or God revealed his law to his creatures. It's also instructions on how to live. So Jesus says, for those of us who live in the kingdom of God, we should not even relax one of the things that are written in the scriptures. We should do them wholeheartedly. We should do everything completely with the grace that is provided to us by the righteousness of Christ, by the Spirit of God. 
So Jesus says, whoever relaxes the least of these commandments, one least commandment as we see it, Jesus says, that person will lose all of their lives worth of service to God. All of their lives would mean nothing. For in the kingdom of God, Jesus says, that person will be called least. And whoever does the whole law and teaches others to do the same, meaning whoever really devotes themselves to living according to the scripture, even to the dashes and the dots and everything, whoever has the faith to say, God's word is greater than the whole universe, it's more important than anything that I could imagine, anything that anyone is advising me, that person, Jesus says, is going to be named, is going to be called greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So the difference between the two people is not one is more capable than the other. No, it's a difference of faith. One believes God's law, God's word is a divine revelation. It's more important. It's glorious than anything else, including the whole universe. And if you guys caught up on any scientific work about the universe, the sun that we see it's like a tennis ball compared to, I don't know, pebbles, small pebbles compared to the earth. But then there are stars that are a thousand times larger than our sun. I didn't say a thousand miles longer than our sun. A thousand times larger than our sun. And then the stuff that we know about is things that we can see. It's called the observable universe. The universe doesn't end there. So we have no idea how big, glorious, amazing, the universe is. We struggle for the resources we have on a tiny table where when God has resources worth an entire universe, right? So even we can't even comprehend the universe. And God says, my words that are revealed in the Old Testament and the New, of course, are more important than all that because God's words According to God's word, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. How? He said, let this happen. And it happened. Just by using his words, he brought the universe out of nothing. That's how valuable God's word really is. And this is the son of God who really understands this. Only the son of God understands this. Does that make sense? Only he revealed it, God's word, like this. Nobody else understands this concept. We are privileged to have heard from him, to hear from him today, right? It's amazing how much Jesus values the word of God. His name is the word of God. So Jesus says, right, it's very important for us who are followers of Christ to value God's word like that. But then Jesus gave us a second warning. And he says, for I tell you, because, Jesus says, you should be very serious about God's word, because, Jesus says, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus says anything worse than relaxing one of the least of the commandments of God is deadly in the worst sense of the word, 
in the most extreme sense of the word. But we needed to understand one thing, and Jesus labors the entire sermon from this point on to explain one thing to us. What does he mean by the righteousness of the Pharisees and the scribes that we should refrain from thinking that's the way of righteousness and really turn back to what is truly righteousness, right? So there are three things that Jesus describes as the righteousness of the Pharisees and the scribes that will not lead to life, right? Last week, we saw the first section. The first section, you will find it in Matthew 5. You can look down in your Bibles. It's very critical for you to look down in your Bibles. As I say this, it's Matthew 5, 21 to 48, describes to us, Jesus, you guys remember, Jesus had many encounters with the Pharisees and the scribes. One of the places, Jesus says to them, you have a very fine way of rejecting God's doctrine for the sake of your traditions. Jesus is saying the Pharisees and the scribes, instead of listening or valuing God's word the way Jesus described it in this place, they were following their own traditions. And last week, that's the illustration that we saw. Jesus showed us, instead of them recognizing, when God says you shall not murder, it doesn't just mean you shouldn't kill somebody. It means you should love your brothers and sisters. That's what God was teaching us, is what Jesus is saying. But the Pharisees took that word and said, you're good as long as you don't murder somebody. That's righteousness. Then there are many non-believers who don't do that, right? So they reduced the law of God, the transcendent heavenly reality into humanly possible activity. So the one way Jesus is saying, or in this place where Jesus said, you reject God's law and do your own tradition. What's the example that he gave them? He said, God's word, God's law says, if you dishonor your mother and father, you should be put to death. But you guys say, if a son or a daughter says, whatever I have is qurban, is given, devoted to God, he can, he can be allowed not to help his family not to honor his family. So Jesus says, by your traditions, you cancel God's law. So that's what Jesus showed us last week. But then this week, Matthew 6, Jesus is dealing with another wrong perception of righteousness. In the last week, Jesus taught us, you have heard that it was said like this. The Pharisees taught this. But I say to you, this is the real interpretation of God's word. So, therefore, you should live like this. He gave us instructions on how to live. This week, he's going to talk to us about not making our righteousness just external. He's going to talk to us about not doing our righteousness in front of people just to be seen by them. For people to think we are righteous instead of, our righteousness being before God, according to God's word. Jesus called the Pharisees, in fact, whitewashed tombs or hypocrites because of that. They cared about what people taught about them more than they cared about pleasing God. Righteousness, by definition, is right standing with God 
They forgot all about the meaning of the word. And they were in right standing with people. And then we will see what Jesus means by this. So that's Matthew 6. And the last problem Jesus wants to deal with, once you start reducing God's law to your own traditions, and once you start appearing righteous before people, the next thing that's going to happen is you're going to be judging people. You're going to think you are righteous because of what you hold, your traditions, your mannerisms, your civilization, whatever. You're a good person, so therefore everybody is wrong. So Jesus talks about judge not in Matthew 7. And that's how the sermon ends. Right? So that's the righteousness from which Jesus wants us to refrain from. And today we're jumping into the second thing. Thinking that righteousness is about how people perceive you. That's what Matthew 6 is about. And this is what I am trying to reveal or what I'm trying to expose according to the words of Christ. So we can get to the word very easily now. The first thing Jesus, well, generally teaches us is beware of hypocrisy, right? The first idea that I have for you is beware of hypocrisy. Jesus says in verse 1, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. Is Jesus saying, Jesus told us in the first part of the sermon, You are the light of the world. Let your light shine before men so that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. So is Jesus saying, Whatever you do, don't show your righteousness to anyone, hide it. Is that what he's saying? No, because that would be a contradiction of what he first said to us. We are supposed to live in a public manner. We're supposed to live righteously in a public manner. The emphasis here is don't do it. Instead of doing that life, living that life to glorify God, we can end up living that life to glorify ourselves or to please other people, to appear righteous before other people. And as we go through the text, this becomes very plain to us. Because, Jesus says, right, why not practice your righteousness before men to be seen by them? Because, he says, then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. So, that's a good place to start. Reward. Why did he go there immediately after this? Well, Jesus is saying, to say the least, you have to choose between a heavenly reward and an earthly, perishing, temporal, probably you won't get it kind of reward. Let's start there. Instead of chasing uncertain reward, Reward that is, gonna, that is not going to satisfy you. Reward that's not going to last after this life. And even in this life that is defiled with sin, he says, focus on the reward that you will get from God. And Jesus talks right after that about this reward. So what is the point here? Jesus is saying your life is not meant to be lived 
so that other people could look at you and say, wow, this person is a holy person, or this person is better than me, or this person is the definition of good. Your motive should not be that. <laughs> Does that make sense? But your motive should be, I want people to see my conduct, the way that I live, and say, wow, this person must have an amazing God. There's something totally unhuman about this person. To which they're going to ask, what makes you so different? To which you're going to say, I have a savior who died for me, who was punished for my sins, who gives me his righteousness, who gives me his Holy Spirit, so that I can live life differently from everyone else. So that I don't care about people's opinion. So that I don't just go with the flow. I stand firm for what the Lord says I should stand firm on. That's the difference. So Jesus is saying, don't let your emphasis be what people approve of you, what people hold to be valuable, fashionable, whatever you call it, but let what your heart is being driven by be what God says is the way to live. And when you do that, God will reward you. Jesus puts the conditions for heavenly reward. And as I said, I'm not going to go into the giving, the fasting, and even the prayer. But I'm going to use them as Jesus uses them in this place at a higher level. Jesus says the conditions for the heavenly reward, being rewarded by God, being pleasing to God, or glorifying God is, he says, Live you righteousness before God, not men. And he's talking about specific things in this place, by the way, right? And the first time when Jesus says, you are the light of the world, let your light shine. You know what he was saying? He was talking about the Beatitudes, poverty of spirit. People are not going to look at you trembling before God's word and say, wow, your life is amazing. What are you like stressed about is what they're going to say. Why are you making a big deal out of like heaven and hell? That's what they're going to say. People are not going to look at you being meek, not defending your own cause, not going to get your stuff and say, wow, your life is so powerful. They're not going to say that. So our tendency is to hide those things because people don't approve of those things. Jesus says, don't hide that. That's meant to be lived in public. It's a different topic. I mean, it was about being persecuted for righteousness sake. Because you are a Christian, your, your friends being like, yeah, you're, you're too much for us. We don't want to hang out with you. That you don't hide. That you live boldly because nobody's going to, Wow, they're not going to be impressed by you because you're like that. But here, Jesus says, you know what could get you famous? If you're that kind of person who gives in public. You're like, look at me, how much I contributed for this particular cause. 
Look at me how I'm pretty good to the poor. Look at me how I'm nice to the people everybody bullies. You want to show that because if people saw that about you, they'd be like, you're an amazing, you're a hero. You're a generous person, right? And people do that in the world every day of our lives. That's what we see, right? People give in public. People make sure if nobody knows about it, tax return will know about what they gave, right? They will get something for what they did. It matters to humanity. It matters for our fallen nature, for other people to praise us about how generous we are. And Jesus says, you know what? When you give, give in secret. Let nobody know. Not even your right hand and your left hand should have a communication. You know what? Like I gave 20 bucks. Forget that. Just whatever you have, give generously. Give excited. Don't even think about it. Don't even keep records of it. Just give. You know what this does? Like instead of like announcing it in public and dishonoring the person that you're giving to, look at me, I can give to somebody and this person is in need and I'm generous to them. Instead of doing that, first of all, you honor the person that you give to. You give in secret. And they're not exposed as a needy person unless they want to reveal it themselves. Nobody would know. Guess what? We're all needy. We have because God gave us. And God didn't give us to selfishly use it for our needs. Right? It's to share it. If you have a home, it belongs to God. When you share it with a stranger, that's because that's what you're created to do. So Jesus says, this kind of righteousness, you flaunt it, you make it public, it stops being righteousness. And then you kind of undercut the true giver in the process. God is the one who gave. If you're going to expose someone as needy, you are needy. You're not the giver in reality. You're, you've received everything you have from God, including your breath. Forget the money or the resources that you share with others. So it just kind of skews, like it makes you exalted and you're this giver and this amazing, generous person, which that's not true. It's not yours. You don't even own your body, according to scripture. And then it kind of makes God disappear in the picture when he's the true giver when he's truly generous, when he's truly generous to those who are evil towards him. Jesus ended the last chapter saying, you be perfect because your heavenly father is perfect. You know why? Because he gives rain to the just and the unjust, to those who love him and who hate him. He's good, he's generous. So your righteousness being hidden exalts God who's generous to all. Your giving itself will be broadened. You're not going to give based on, is this person a believer or a non-believer? You're not going to give based on, is this person, does, does, do they deserve what I'm going to give them or not? You're going to give generously as God leads you by His Spirit.
And he goes into, I mean, you guys remember, this was the weakness of the Pharisees. They used to have trumpets blow to say, hello, hello, I'm giving this much. And Jesus sat down in a temple one day and looked at this woman who's so poor, she gave the smallest amount of money that you can find in Israel. And he said, she gave more generously than all. The elements of her giving is she gave a larger percentage of what she has, if not all of it, but also she gave without anybody knowing except Christ, who was actually looking to see. That's why he praises that giving. It's, he's not commending, you should give everything you have. That's not the lesson there. It's a giving that is pleasing to God from the heart that glorifies God. So all of these ideas go that deep. So Jesus right after says, when you pray, do not pray so that you're going to look great in front of people. You're going to look amazing. Stand in the middle of the market and pray. Like go to the airport, kneel down and pray. Like don't pray like that. It's a secret activity, prayer. It's a conversation with the living God that we cannot do we couldn't do ever that Christ brought us into by his righteousness. We cannot approach God, but Christ made it possible for us to approach him. Don't make this thing that is so holy, that is impossible for us to do on our own, so unholy and so common, so, you know, like for the sake of other people that are going to see you. And the other thing that he warns us is don't pray like the Gentiles. Like the God that you're praying to is just wood or iron or something like that. Uh, uh, like a molten image. Like he doesn't know what you're going through. He doesn't know what you're about to say before you say it. He doesn't know your needs. He created you. He created those needs in you. He specifically created everything about you. He knows all of your thoughts. He has numbered each one of your hair. It's not the total that he knows. He knows hair number one from 1,025. Not even your parents know that about you, but he does. And he knows everything about the entire universe simultaneously. So God says to us, or Jesus, who is God with us, says to us, when you pray, recognize God already is a God who's near and dear to you, who loves you more than anyone. God already created you to provide for you everything that you need. He does this for Gentiles, for believers, non-believers, however you want to calculate it. Everything survives and, and is sustained. God's word says Jesus Christ holds the entire universe by the power of his word. The sun is not in the sky because of physics. The sun is in the sky because of the word of Christ. He sustains it. He puts it in position. So our lives, by definition, are very smaller things to manage than that. And he's involved in our lives so intimately. So Jesus says, don't pray for the sake of other people seeing you. Don't pray as if God does not hear, like as if God is a mute idol. Pray knowing that God knows everything. 
He invites you into prayer because prayer is your time of relationship with God. It's a private relationship. Just like you wouldn't have serious conversations or meaningful conversations with your parents in public, that would defeat the purpose of family intimacy. Don't have this precious relationship we have with God that is bought by the blood of Christ in public. Don't even think about what other people are going to think about you when you pray. Who cares? So, Jesus wants us to really focus our hearts properly towards God instead of people. And for us to really glorify God as the God He really is. He's not confused about your life. He's not coming to terms with what you're going through. He knows where you are. He put you where you are. He's sovereign over everything that you're going through. Whether you think that's bad or good, the Word of God says, Everything turns to good for those who love God, whether you're going through hardship or exciting moments, all of it, God prepared for your good. I mean, he gave us the example of the life of Christ. His very own son lived like a poor person, lived despised by society, died on a cross. That's capital punishment for for all of us. That would be the electric chair or whatever capital punishments are like popular right now. But he was sinless. Why? It's God's goodness displayed in Christ. And because of the things he suffered on this earth, now he's seated on high with a name higher than all names, authority that is greater than all authorities. Because he emptied himself, because he suffered, because he followed God's plan for his life, we see him exalted far above all authorities, all rules, all names, all possessions, all everything. So Jesus, the one that is speaking to us, is the one that lived this out 100%. He's giving us an example to follow in his life and in his preaching. And the last area in this prayer Jesus goes into, sorry, before I skip that part, what kind of prayer we should pray, right? He says, we should pray about to our Father who is in heaven. We should start by recognizing we're not just praying to a wall or an empty room or just like, this is not just a religious practice. We're praying to the living God who is in heaven, who is our Father because of Christ. This is not, we're not appealing to a stranger. We're not appealing to the president. We're not appealing to a horrible father, a neglecting father. Any picture of fatherhood that you may have, we are appealing to the Father of lights who loves us. Every good gifts in our lives and in the lives of all creation comes from this Father. And we're, he's only our Father because we are united to Christ, because of Christ. So he says, acknowledge that, recognize that, and then go into praying for the glory of God, for the kingdom of God to come and to rule on the earth, for 
all the pain and the struggle and the confusion and the lies to end. For righteousness to reign over us, for eternal life to be true for all of us, for death to end, for tears to stop, for wars to come to a halt. And then Jesus says, humbly pray for daily provisions, for your food that you eat, for the things, for the appetite that you have, for the excitement that you have about life. Pray for those things that seem small to you that are a gift of God. And he says, pray for forgiveness for your sins. And pray from, for the protection from the devil in everyday life, from our enemy, our supernatural enemy. We have no power to overcome except by the power of God. And God says, pray like this while acknowledging you forgive others who sin against you. While living a life that also shows that you are a forgiving person because you have faith in Christ. You are a follower of Christ. You are submitted to God's law. So Jesus says, man-pleasing, man-made idea of righteousness will even distort your prayer and make your prayer useless. Will distort your giving. It will distort your fasting, he continues on. When you fast, do not fast and make your face look gloomy, Jesus says. Do not fast for other people to recognize, oh wow, this is a spiritual person, he's fasting right now or she's fasting right now. Fast and look like everybody else. Do the, the actual things that you do every morning to look fresh, to clean up, to brush, whatever. And let nobody know that you're fasting. Don't even talk about it. Just do it because the purpose of fasting is your close relationship with God. It's you depriving yourself, your body of the things that it needs for a day, for a moment, so that you can be focused to worship God. To have an intimate time with God. So it's not something to be shown in public. It's to be held in secret. So Jesus says, beware of hypocrisy. Make sure you're not living out what you consider to be righteousness for other people to see. Instead, live it out in your heart. Let that be your true identity inside. Let that be your true life. Let that be your secret life. Really understand God rewards those who seek Him sincerely. Really understand the reward that God gives is infinitely more valuable, more satisfying, eternally lasting, perfect gift than anything else you can imagine. So that this thing will not be in the air and you won't be able to perceive what it is. What does this mean? Jesus is saying, don't secure for yourself social status. Don't secure for yourself friends. Don't secure for yourself some kind of, I don't know, community working, community hours or whatever. That people are going to consider you this person that is highly exalted in society. 
this person that has social cred or whatever credit that you may think of. Don't do that. Jesus is saying you have a heavenly bound life. This is supernatural. This is beyond the physical. This is beyond human society. This is beyond any praise human beings can give you. Seek the things that are pleasing in the sight of God. Seek righteousness. Seek holiness. Seek love for humanity. Seek service to others. Seek counting others as better than yourself as gain to you. Seek suffering. So that, not for the sake of suffering, if you feel like, if you know that it will liberate someone, it will save someone's life, seek being hated by people for sharing the gospel, for example. Seek being hated by people for standing with those who are weak without flaunting your righteousness. So Jesus says, if you live such a righteous secret life before God only, your Father will see in secret and reward you openly. Everyday life will come like, and you will get reward from God. For example, you'll get a better understanding of how to serve God as you serve God. If you give in secret today, tomorrow you'll be more capable of giving in secret. You'll be more capable of being more generous because you'll understand this gift that I'm giving is not from me, it's from God. You will continue to grow in the faith and to find satisfaction in the things that God gives you. But also, you'll be given more so that you can give more. Because now you truly understand what God is giving you things for. It's not for your own desires, but for you to enjoy it as well as to share it with others who do not have as much as you. Paul says, him who sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Him who sows generously will reap bountifully. In this life and in the life to come. Jesus says, whoever is faithful with what is given to him in this life will be appointed over much in the life to come. So he tells us, God's reward, Jesus says, is not going to fade, is not going to end. It's more, more fundamental to you than your deepest desires, Jesus says. You don't even know what you need, and God has it for you. When you follow his will, you will really find satisfaction in the things you never thought you would. That's the reward of God. But then again, the Christians, all of us who believe in God, I don't just want to be motivated by just reward. I want to go deeper. You might say that. I want to be like I'm, I want to be excited because I love the Lord and I want to serve Him. That's how I want to do it. Jesus is saying, if you're struggling to practice your righteousness before men, this is a first step for you. This is a real step for you. This itself is going to require the grace of God. But ultimately, God is taking you to that. That's one of the biggest rewards ever. Serving God because you love God. In practice, in reality is what I mean. Just like Jesus lived 
on this earth because he loves the Father. So that's where God is taking us. And that's the reward. That's what heaven is going to be like. We're going to serve God forever and ever. Not because he's like forcing us to. Not against our will because we're so excited and we love God because he already loved us when we hated him. So we're going to be motivated by love, living in the fellowship of that love with God and loving God with all of our being. We're going to have redeemed bodies who are going to be able to continue to do that by God's grace. That's it. Beware of hypocrisy. Don't do things to be seen in front of people. The next part, I'm just going to run through because basically that will help us understand the rest. So Jesus says, place your treasures, the things you value, in heaven. And that's the whole lesson here. Right? Jesus says, think of righteousness or the practice of your righteousness as treasures. Right? Your righteousness is going to be practiced in such a way based on what you value, what's important to you. If people's approval is important to you, that's your treasure. So everything you do is going to be for their approval. If God's approval is important to you, God's relationship with you is more important to you, that's going to be your treasure. And everything you do is to please Him regardless of how people feel about it. And when you're trying to please people, it's the same way. Regardless of how God feels about what you're doing, you're just going to do what is pleasing to people. And usually that's the problem. Jesus says, if you keep your treasure on the earth, that is false righteousness. That is a righteousness that is not glorifying to God. And Jesus says, if you do that on this earth, there's moss, there's rust, there are thieves. This thing that you're putting together is going to rust, decay, is going to be eaten by moth, and it's going to be stolen. Mind you, I really want you to think. Jesus is not saying if you have a house and it rusts, like, you must have a horrible, right? That's not the point. If you treasure the house more than God, you should know that house is not going to stay alive forever. It's not worth your affection and your devotion, is what he's saying. Or more importantly, caring about people's approval is going to last a few moments. We're all going to pass as a generation. Every generation before us passed. It's temporal. So Jesus says, be careful where you store your treasure. Jesus says, if you store your treasure in heaven, it will never perish. It's forever and it's pleasing in the sight of God. God himself protects that treasure. God himself will reward you. according. If you give a cup of water to a saint, God will make sure to reward you for that much of faithfulness. It's very detailed. It's perfect. It will never perish. It will always have value. Honestly, if people who really understand investing and success or whatever in this world really understood this for real, 
they'll actually think everything they've been doing so far, no matter who they are, billionaires and whatever, they would think it was just a joke. I was investing in the wrong place. This is the smartest investment plan ever, according to people who truly understand the wisdom of true investing, even for non-believers is what I'm telling you. They just can't understand this because it's spiritually understood by those who believe in God. So Jesus is saying, lay up your treasures in heaven. Why? Why is this so critical to Jesus? Why is it important that we care about the things that are in heaven? Or why do we have to put our treasures in heaven? Jesus says, because your heart, your whole inner being is going to follow wherever your treasure is. You know what Jesus is saying? You know what? You cannot control how you live your life. You cannot control what excites you. You cannot control how you react to a person who's in need. You can't control that. You can't even control your desire to be liked by other people. It's not evil in its own idea, by the way, desiring to be liked by people. There's nothing wrong with it. You can't control that because your heart is controlling your life. But you can control how you practice your righteousness. You can control where your treasure is. You can control what you do with your money. You can control how you pray, in what manner you pray, whether you pray in secret, whether you pray knowing God listens to you, or whether you pray in front of people and repeating the same words as if God does not hear, like a mute idol. You can control that. And you can only control that because Jesus died for us on the cross. And this is the grace we received by his righteousness. To not worry about what people think about us, but to focus on what God wants from us. You can control that. Those are small activities that you do every day. And when you control that, your heart will be motivated by pleasing God instead of pleasing people. Your heart will follow the direction of your treasures. If you care constantly about God's will and you put it into action, listen to me here. If you just care about God's will for your life at a mental level, at an intellectual level, it doesn't do anything to your heart. If you care about it at a righteousness level, at a practicing level, at a level of living it out in your life every day, if you make small deposits in righteousness, then your heart will follow the abundance of your treasures and your life is what Jesus is saying. So the human heart doesn't work by, oh, you should love this. When you tell it that, it's like, okay, I'm just going to follow that. It doesn't work like that. Think of it like psychologically like this. Your habits are now formed by brushing once every year. <laughs> it's easier for you to brush. You will have like the things in place. It would be very natural to you if you do it every day, twice a day. You don't become the fit person you want to be by working out once a month. It doesn't even work like that. 
You don't become a college graduate by going to school once in two weeks. It doesn't work like that. You got to build it up and every day will get you closer to where you're going. Every day builds upon yesterday and the cumulative effect is much more powerful than we can imagine before we start the process. So it's something like that, but totally supernatural and beyond our thinking. But at least it gives you the picture of what Jesus is trying to say. So Jesus says, make sure your treasures are in heaven. Make sure your treasure is all about pleasing God. If that's your treasure, your very identity itself, spontaneously, it could be a random set of ideas. A new idea could show up in the world. A new gadget could show up in the world. You will know how to behave and how to do the, how to do the will of God if you've been practicing your righteousness in secret before God to please God. If your treasure is God versus the approval of people or people or stuff or things like that, Jesus says, your heart will follow that treasure. So it's a huge danger that Jesus is showing us. So Jesus really understands the Pharisees are not just like hypocrites out of nowhere. It's because they've been practicing trying to be seen by men as righteous for a long time. And that's why they need Jesus. That's why they need to be born again to be saved. That's why we all need to be born again to be saved. Naturally, we like the people, people's approval more than God's approval. And this is the one thing that we need to know. Why is it so easy for us to love the things that God says don't do? Well, mainly because we're sinners. But also because it's so easy. It's rewarding. If people like you, there's value you get today. If people like you, they'll vote for you. You can be president. If people think you're competent, they'll give you amazing jobs. If people think you're like open-minded, you are happy with everyone, you are like this happy-go-lucky person, you're an easy person to hang out with. It has values. Everybody's going to want to be your friend. And you get value out of that. And that's the next point Jesus is going to come to. Jesus says, seek first the kingdom and God's righteousness. Jesus says to us, you know what? You're not seeking people's approval to be nice to them or to serve them. That's not the point that's in your heart. Because of our brokenness, Jesus tells us in this place, we're seeking other people's approval for the sake of gaining something for ourselves. When people approve of us, we are glorified. When people approve of us, we gain something in return. If enough people think the products that I make are good and useful for them, if I can convince them of that, I will have a company. I will have customers. I will have money that can sustain my life. So our very purpose, the core in our hearts, our desire to be loved by people is coming not from a desire to serve them. It's a desire to serve me. That's what's wrong with it. That's why it just, if you're trying to be seen by men as doing this righteousness, it can't go beyond 
exalting you, make, glorifying you to God. It can't. You can't even imagine the gift that you're giving to a person. It belongs to God. Your very breath that's going to help you to get to a person, to give something to them, that itself is a gift. We are stewards of that gift. We are servants who are using it temporarily. And that breath will stop someday if the Lord does not come before we die. That stewardship will end. This life on earth will end. And the sum of your life will be complete. And the total of what you did will be in a spreadsheet. Like literally it's just over. You've done this with what you have been given will be calculated and according to what we have done in this life whether evil or good the Lord Jesus will judge his people right not to condemn us but we need to give account for what we've done with our lives so Jesus says do not even focus about your life don't be consumed by, what will I eat? If people don't like me, what's going to happen to me? If I don't do this thing with my life, contrary to God's word, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with people liking you. There's nothing wrong with you going to school. There's nothing wrong with you be a so being a sociable person. What I'm saying is, if you're doing it at a cost to God's will, if you're doing it contrary to God's plan for you, if you're doing it contrary to holiness, if you're doing it contrary to God's word, it's totally wrong. It's deadly, actually. So Jesus says, if you are anxious about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, let me bring it to the 21st century. If you're worried about your happiness, if you're worried about houses and cars, if you're worried about relationships, if you're worried about social media media status, if you're worried about you're going to be left behind unless you watch all those movies and play all those games. If you're worried about these things, fame, influence, smarts, riches, skills, gadgets, vacations, travel, changing the world, if you want to make it positive, if you're worried about just serving God, just becoming a minister or whatever, don't worry about it. If you're worried about looking like a Christian, showing up at church every Sunday or doing Christian-y things, don't worry about it. If you're worried about that, your heart is going to be pulled down to things that do not give life. Your heart is going to be so weighed down, it cannot even understand God's will for your life. It can't follow God's will for your life. But God's word is teaching us in this place. Worry about what is pleasing to God instead of being weighed down by this thing. The first and the most important thing in your life should be the kingdom of God. Jesus is saying simply, do not seek others' approval. Do not seek your own glory. Seek the glory of God. Serve others instead for the sake of God's glory. Jesus says, in this place, he wants us to see the picture. God gave you life, which is more than food. 
God gave you your body, which we know medically in every logical sense is much more important than clothing, much more valuable than clothing. If one of our organs fail, it's a complete struggle. We cannot do anything in life. We cannot even think about other things. We have to struggle to just stay healthy, to just stay normal. So God gave you more valuable things than the things that you're worried about. So Jesus is saying, trust God to provide for you the things that you're worried about. If you need friendships, God will provide them for you. Godly friendships. Even better than friendships. Brothers and sisters, the Lord provides for us. If you need to be loved, Jesus loved us so much that He died on a cross for us. We have the only one who loves unconditionally in our lives. And he didn't leave us at that. Through his love, he leads other people who are loved by him, who love him, to be part of our lives. The church, family, every person God provides in your life, there will never be an end to those people because God is the one providing those things for you. You don't have to go out and become somebody to provide those things for yourself. God already provided for you life and your body, which is priceless. Trust Him for friendships and family, brothers and sisters. And trust Him because He already demonstrated 2,000 years ago His unconditional love for you. While we were sinners, Jesus died for us. How much more today that we belong to Him does He provide for us and love us? So seek first the kingdom and God's righteousness. And Jesus says, all these things will be added to you. Don't let your heart be weighed down by things that Gentiles worry about, non-believers worry about, because they don't know God. They don't know better. But you know better. You have seen Christ. You know about Christ. You experience Christ every day. Everything you have comes from Him. You have seen Him rescue you over and over again. You have seen Him be patient with you, love you, forgive you, lead you in the right way that is good for you. So Jesus says, don't be anxious about the future. Don't be anxious about tomorrow. Tomorrow will worry for itself. Live today. Live today for the glory of God. Focus your life one moment at a time. Don't be this person who thinks they're in control of entire lifetime. Five years, tomorrow even, forget about it. Live today because your heart will be weighed down if you're anxious about the future because you have no idea what the future holds. Don't live like that. Live today and live today for God's kingdom to be shown in this world, for people to really know about God, for you yourself to be rescued by the truth from the lies that are in this world, from the lies of the enemy. Jesus says, focus your day one day at a time in serving God. Put your effort into the things that are in heaven. Seek the righteousness God gives. Seek holiness. Seek the things that God tells us to seek one day at a time, one minute at a time, and you will find your life provided for.
nothing will be missing from your life. Even if things get really hard for you, like they did for the apostles, for Jesus, even in that time, you will have the fullness of joy, the fullness of peace, and everything you need will be provided for you. Everything. The Lord himself will stand by you to sustain you through hard and easy times. So when Jesus says, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, one of the things that he's saying is, if your heart is weighed down by the things and the cares of this life, the word of God is not going to be appealing to you. This is not just like a mild choice we make as Christians. This threatens our openness to God's word. We should really, really care about this. Live according to what Jesus teaches in this place. Not to say you're saved by the things you do. No. As believers in Christ, our faith means we live to glorify him, nothing else. And all the threats that could come from loving to glorify ourselves will be destroyed by glorifying God very easily. And this is a gift of God that is given to us by the grace that we find in Christ Jesus, by the power of the Spirit. This is the new life that Jesus has given us. Let us pray and finish. Jesus says in Luke 14, these words, 14:26. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brother and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost whether he has enough to complete it? So therefore, verse 33, he says, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Jesus speaks in this place and tells us, don't let what you hold for yourself, what you think will give you life, come between me and you. Jesus tells us the physical things, the things that we desire for ourselves, the things that glorify us are deadly. He teaches us as disciples, we must lay down our own desires. We must deny ourselves, carry our cross, and follow Him. Lord, we thank You for this time that You've given us. We thank You for Your precious Word to us. We thank You that in this chapter, there is so much to learn, Lord. Practical lessons, things that affect today, even if we are in the 21st century. Lord, I pray Lord, that you open our hearts to your word as words of life. Not as burdensome requirements, but as ways to live, as directions, as clear directions in this confusing and dark world. For us to be grateful people, hopeful people, giving thanks always in your name, praying always unceasingly, and rejoicing always because of who you are for us. 
because our life is about glorifying you and we are given every day provisions, everything that we need to glorify your name. We have a secret relationship with you, a relationship that is heavenly, a relationship that removes the weight on our lives, Lord. So Father, open our hearts to this truth. Open our hearts to recognize the things that we're letting go in this world are nothing compared to what we are gaining when we gain you. Nothing compared to your love towards us. Nothing compared to the rewards that you give, you give us now and forever. Nothing compared to the reward of knowing the Lord Jesus Christ, our Lord, who died for us because he loved us. He's resurrected and he's on in heaven, interceding for us by His blood today, for every wrong that we have done, He brings to us forgiveness and sanctification. He brings to us goodness and love by His mercy. Let us rejoice in Him. Let us treasure Christ above all things. Let the love of Christ be a driving force in our lives. Let the rewards that you give be more valuable in our sight than anything else. Father, I pray over the whole congregation that even though these are, these may seem like serious words, but your words are words of eternal life. Your words sanctify. Your words break our bonds and free us. When we know the truth, we are set free. So, Father, I pray that you encourage us. I pray that you teach us and train us according to your words, that we may live a full life before you and in this world. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.